Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's show, I sit down with Olympic gold medalist Natalie Cook. The biggest serves coming up in the career of Kerry Potthouse. And for her partner, Natalie Cook, match point to Beattie. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's so nice to see you. Well, I feel like I had to say yes to your podcast so that I could see you (laughs) because I watch you on social media, amazing mum with your beautiful three children Mm. and the work you do for the community and it's just so heartwarming, Liv. Thank you. So, of course, I said yes so I could see you. (laughs) Like, hello. Hi. I feel like the last time I saw you, like, properly was I came over to you and your partner Sarah's house. Um, and with little Jordan. Yes, who's um, six now. Who's six now. Unbelievable. Yeah, we had a little play date when they were babies. Were they even one at You that only stage? had one. I then. only had one. Yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking? I don't <laughs> I knew I was smart and yeah. I stopped at one. So one and done. You yeah, guys were it. clever. Yeah. <laughs> a bit harder for us too. A little bit yeah, harder, yeah. yes. But that's okay. You, I think you guys were clever. And Jordan is just such a bright spark of a little girl. She's so great. Yeah, and I think she's living her best life. Um, we are now. She's back at school. But we just have travelled the world with her and mm. she's had so many amazing experiences and we're just – as you know, the bundles of joy and uh, they're so great. Um, I've loved every age at this point and just can't wait to watch it grow. Well, wait till the teenage years. <laughs> I've heard that too and I'm like, I might try and do a lot of international alone travel there. Yes. Working, good, working hard. Good idea. Good plan. I like yeah. the way you think. Um, I, I, it's so hard to know where to start with you because you, you've been to five Olympic Games. I know. Which is just like, I mean, come on. It's a disgusting amount. Obsessively <laughs> addicted to the Olympic movement and getting a free doona. Yeah. Every yeah. four years. You stole them too. I did. I yes. stole everything that wasn't bolted down. And it's my number one piece of advice for mm. Olympic first timers anything that fits in Take your suitcase. Everything. That's right. That's, we train so hard. Yes. For that. If you get don't get a medal, especially take everything. Everything. Dawn Fraser set that up for us. I think you Did know she? with the flag. Oh, taking well. the flag. <laughs> and I was inspired, and I think I've I've been inspired by Dawny to keep the tradition going. I didn't get arrested, um, but uh, yeah, I have tried to take everything. Yeah. Well, I felt so guilty in London because I stole the doona there, and I was like, oh, I'm just being so naughty. <laughs> I should have spoken to you before Athens and taken everything from. Totally. <laughs> I know, but it was really hard to get into the swimmers team as a little beach volleyballer on the side. Mm. We'd watch you all in the village, and uh, if you, yeah, if you didn't have so many swimming friends, <laughs> um, but I have literally right now. Jordan sleeps in the Tokyo Duna because I managed to get a f- the volleyball coach to give me that one. So good, and I sleep in the Rio Duna, so Amazing. it's pretty cool. So. What I love about this is that all three people in this room are from Townsville. So Jace, the producer, is from Townsville. He actually said before we started, you were one of the first Olympians that he's ever met. Oh, Jace. Back in the day in like 2002 maybe? I think it's called City Beach Volleyball. City Beach Volleyball, yes. That sadly, as of last year, no longer exists. And out of City Beach Volleyball, interestingly, Jace, Summer Lockowitz, who was the sister of my best friend, 
played beach volleyball in the Olympics in Athens. Oh, wow. Because she saw me play in 1996. So Amazing. you never know. I mean, there's so many little ones swimming because of Libby Triggett, but there was one. Yeah, <laughs> there's been at least one. <laughs> at least one. At because Taliqua Clancy says it's all because of Kathy Freeman and she didn't watch me and now oh, she's a on, silver man. medalist. So I've got, <laughs> at least got summer that I'm claiming as uh, my – the one I inspired. Yeah. Well, so what inspired you to get into into volleyball? Because I, I read a, a beautiful story about how, were you like about seven? You saw Lisa Curry competing at the Brisbane Commonwealth Games and you saw her win gold there. And that kind of inspired this whole journey of becoming obsessed with the Olympic movement. That's good research because um, I do give Lisa Curry all the credit. My mum was an infant swim teacher in Townsville. And so she taught me Which how. Which pool? Uh, well, she went to um, private pools. Ah, private pools. Nice yep. one. So she'd come into your pool here with your three girls, babies. Yeah. And then when they got when they could swim, they would go into club pools. Amazing. Right? So we would hop around between. We actually didn't have a pool. Uh, we would hop between everyone else's pool, and she taught me to swim by. Now, don't get her arrested by putting. <laughs> my head underwater and holding me down, letting me go and helping me come to the surface. That was literally what they did. I had that happen to me. Probably the Laurie Lawrence technique (laughs) because my first pool was the Lawrence Rally Swim School. And Vince Rally, who was Zach's Double D Cook's coach, who's been there for 40 years, was Mm. my first coach with Laurie Lawrence, which is why I got out of swimming. (laughs) can't imagine why. I got out of swimming, but you'll have to do your own research on clearly you've seen Laurie and uh, on Vince. Um, it's a whole other story there and we'd be here for many hours. But I started swimming at Aiken Vale Swim Club. Yes, me and too. So good. And actually went to Innesvale a lot for camps me with too. Phil McLeod. Amazing. Whose son was Rod McLeod who lived in Townsville. So Rod Rodney became my coach and... I just got, I don't know, Libby, I got sick of the black line. I don't know if you ever had it. I ran into toads in the pool after the rain. Yeah, duck poo as well. Yeah. Very no. common. I'm like this, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, my dad did get, uh, so I was eight, watching Lisa Curry in front of the 1982 Commonwealth Games win the 100 free, mm. get out of the pool, put the green and gold tracksuit on, stand on top of the podium, the Aussie flag, crying, singing Advance Australia Fair and something in me said, I want to do that. Mm. And I, I thought it'd be swimming. Um, Dad got a, he was an engineer, he got a job transfer to Brisbane and so we tried to find the pool that I would go to. I went to Corinda High and the Corinda pool coach was John Carew. Amazing. With Kieran Perkins. Oh, my gosh. So many similarities. I trained with John Crew when I came to Brisbane as well. <laughs> Libby, Libby, Libby. How did you stay on the black line and the chlorine and the smell and I the green know. hair? And the- it, it's You've got to be a you're special kind wa- of person. And you're probably way better than I was. <laughs> I, I was a breaststroker. I won the under eight titles in Cairns. How good. And that's my claim to fame. So swimming. good. I don't think that's your only claim to fame. But <laughs> the swimming, right. maybe. The swimming. When I'm talking, to, you know when people come and say, oh, I played volleyball in grade eight and they say, this is my swimming career. Well, I'm letting Libby Trickett, the gold medalist, I know. won the under eights. Under eights, 50 breaststrokes. So good. And I got a blue badge that had a Q on it. That was my medal. Magic. And uh, anyway, I was at Corinda swimming before school, like all swimmers, train in the morning, get dressed at the pool, have my cereal in a Tupperware container. Yes. 
Classic. Go, I mean, this is your story. <laughs> go to Corinda High, come back and do the same thing, like glutton for punishment. Yep. My afternoon tea, which I'm a foodie, was hot and soggy <laughs> and because I've had it in since 5am. And I just got home at night exhausted and then had to do it the next day. Yep. And so, Rinse and repeat. That's exactly right. And the togs too. Yes. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> so I decided at the ripe old age of 13 that I had to find a new sport. So I went on the Fair hunt. Enough. <laughs> I went on the hunt in grade nine. I played everything. Mm. You know, the PE teacher, I was athletic, mm. clearly. Height, had the height, athletic. So he wanted me to try every single sport. I even played Vigoro. Wow. Now, if you don't know <laughs> what Vigoro is. That is a blast is, from the past. Go and Google Vigoro. <laughs> That's was, the thing with the weird um, paddle bat. Paddle bat, yes. I never played it. Oh, really? Yeah. And the balls were harder than cricket balls. And not, we didn't bowl them, we pegged them. Like, what is the point of that sport? Oh, hurting people. <laughs> it really? Just purely. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I thought this was how I got out all my aggression. Unfortunately, girls that weren't as talented would walk to the crease and before they faced a ball, walk back because they were afraid oh. that I would hurt them. Oh. So I, I sort well, of. Well, you did, had that intimidating. I had an intimidating posture. Bigger, yeah. <laughs> um, I tried basketball and tennis and skateboarding and martial arts and everything. Was the purpose, was the goal Olympics? To was You were just trying to find the sport to get you to the Olympics? Well, from the dream at eight, I thought I'm going to get to the Olympics. And then, of course, Vigoro wasn't in it. All no. of those sports <laughs> weren't in it. But I was just trying to be the best. My grandfather rewarded me with his love mm. with winning when I won. Ah. And so, um, ironically, in swimming, this will be a big psychological lesson. Um, when I was eight, to most of the time, I told you about my win, but I would come second mm. to a little Louise Spenderlove, who currently I lives love on the that. Gold you still Coast. Remember her name? I, I remember my competitors. I remember. Too. I couldn't beat her, and I'm like, I am twice the size of this little girl, and so the the. The thrill of the hunt mm. and the desire to want to win to impress my grandfather. And by the end of it, when I came home to see him, he wouldn't ask me if I won. He would ask me how much I won by. Ugh. And so it actually wasn't enough to just win. Oh, that's hard. It was exhausting. <laughs> so it was a never-ending. Yeah. It, it was a never-ending cycle. Ooh. So I would try and get faster and better and stronger and at everything I did. Um in the school classroom as well, which is a whole nother yeah, story. Yeah, you were ducks of the school. <laughs> ducks of the school. That's I, amazing. I just wanted to be good at everything mm. and to impress him. And that, you know, that served me for a long time in my life and then there was a time where I had to realise that you can't that be. destroying everyone in the path was not probably <laughs> – because the result of that is no friends. Yeah. And, and you hurt people. And you do. Either physically or Or mentally. Emotionally. <laughs> emotionally. So – um, but I didn't know, I wasn't conscious of that yes. at the time. I was just trying to, to do my best and thought that was what you're supposed to do. Mm. So the, um, I was searching for being the best and I thought if you're the best, that's what the Olympics represents, the best in the world. So I would get my way there somehow and I wasn't really, I could play every sport to a decent level uh, because I was driven by success. So volleyball the notice on the school notice board in Corinda High in grade nine that said volleyball trip to Canada and America. Wow. And I said, 
I raced upstairs to the PE department to Mr. Maguire and I said, what? Volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how the journey really started. I remember it to this day. Wow. I, I get goosebumps because he kind of looked at me and he said, oh, well, it's very difficult to explain, come with me. And he took me to the school hall um, and we were an AFL even way back then, we were an AFL excellent school. Oh, wow. One of the few in Queensland uh, because, of course, we had a PE teacher that was addicted to AFL. Always helps. <laughs> always helps. And uh, all the boys in the volleyball were AFL players doing the underarm hand pass. Oh, yeah. That was their lunchtime sport and the teacher sort of explained to me that's volleyball and he said, do you want to play? I said, nope. <laughs> I just want to go to Canada and America. <laughs> that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So that's how the journey started and uh, um, I went on that trip. We took a year to fundraise because it would be quite expensive and my parents couldn't afford it. Um, so we raised a lot of money, a lot of car washes at Corinda Coles Car Park and uh, went on the trip and fell in love with volleyball and fell in love with travel. Mm. But it captured my imagination because I couldn't play it. And if you remember back to grade eight, hopefully you played mm. at least for PE yes. for six weeks. Yep. It hurt your hands. Oh. It hurt your arms. So much. Uh, no one could get it over the net with the best intention. <laughs> and you blame everybody else. Yeah, no, that was me because I'm not a team sport. <laughs> it was definitely everyone else's fault. <laughs> well, I do have that in common too. I used to wear a T-shirt that says, does not play well with others. <laughs> So I didn't have to actually explain myself. They could just you could just read it, read it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm being honest with you, but um, clear is kind. <laughs> exactly. No games, no games, except volleyball. So I I couldn't play. Nobody else could, and I it would keep me up at night going, why can't I do this? Mm. And I went to work for thirty years to master the game of volleyball. That's amazing. Yeah. And six aside, as we do with indoor volleyball doesn't play well with others mm. too many. Yes. So when beach volleyball became an Olympic sport and there was only two, mm. I thought at least I can get along with one person. Surely I can get along with one. That's right. Now I'm making myself out to be really quite mean, but I'm, Which you're I'm not. not. You're not. I'm I... going to declare I'm not. I have evolved and matured. And I can confirm you are not. <laughs> but I did make a few cry on the six-man team. <laughs> As I said, what you know, what'd you do that for? Get out of my way, let me touch the ball. All of that went on. But that's you know, that's what you go to school for uh, to at uh, head of the river, I was in grade nine. Oh sorry, grade eight. <laughs> we won head of the river, but we started going off into the weeds after the race and I screamed at my team. <laughs> I was like, Get out, we're not going the right way. <laughs> How's your friendship? Yeah, so great. Yeah, not I didn't keep going with rowing, no. needless to say. Well, that's smart because that's even earlier than swimming, isn't 100%, it? 100%, yeah. yeah. You have yeah. to be out. Otherwise, it's disgusting and yeah. wavy. And oh, I know. My daughter um, has a very few select sports to choose from. Not swimming. Not swimming, not rowing. <laughs> not rowing. <laughs> not gymnastics because ah. she's twice the size of... Well, she's too tall. Too tall? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. There's not many to choose from. No. But <laughs> volleyball captured my imagination and that was... Uh, that was how it started. Yeah. So how do you go from, you know, wanting to be on a trip that goes, you know, to the US and Canada when you're, what, 14 to arriving in Atlanta in 1996 for the Olympic Games with Kerry? 
so that's a seven-year gap mm. there. So that was, you know, quite quick from volleyball, first touch at 14 to going to the Olympics and winning a bronze medal. Yeah. And being the youngest in the whole beach volleyball fraternity. So it, it sort of happened. There were two – we didn't have many beach volleyballers. There were two girls that were older than my – much older, 10, 12 years older – Kerry included, she'll kill me. She's always <laughs> going to be ten years older than me, and she will. I will never catch up. That's one race. True. I never you will never win. <laughs> never win. Not trying. Um, so she hates it when I say that. But <laughs> she looks great for fifty-seven. She does. She does. It's one hundred percent true. Um, so anyway, back. I get distracted quite easily. So fine. So Anita Palm and Jackie Vacosa were two smaller beach volleyballers that were representing Australia. They actually had. Beach volleyball is a demo sport in Barcelona in 92. Oh, wow. And they had gone to that and were part of that pioneering and evolution. They came back to Australia and when it was announced, so 1993, the winner is a Sydney. Yes. Happened six months before they then said beach volleyball's in the Atlanta Games. Wow. So it was, a, I was in the right place at the right time, the right age, with the right skills. Oh, I kind of love that. Yeah, it's really... Uh, that's you know, like just right time. Like yeah. that's the, the stars conspiring. Yeah, the stars aligning <laughs> oh, and uh, it was perfect timing. So the two girls that were really good, unbeknownst to me, were conspiring to split up mm. and try and find taller, younger partners so we could have two teams because each country had a maximum of two teams. You okay. still had to qualify the spot to try and win a medal because they didn't want to just go yeah. and be two little ones. Mm. And they saw that that was the evolution of the sport. So QE2 Stadium, which is now QSAC, Queensland Sport and Athletic Centre, which was the opening ceremony of the 1982 Commonwealth Games, which is what we watched on TV, is where I first started to play indoor volleyball. so cool. After school. So that was where, you know, the club volleyball would happen under the stands, which is now being converted to the new QAS gym, literally six months ago. Um, so there's no more volleyball in there up until last six months ago. There was. And Anita Palm was sitting in the corner, unbeknownst to me, I was a little, um, 1993, I was 18, little upstart, aggressive, remember had no friends. <laughs> thought, yelling at everyone. Yelling at everyone, trying like, to mask. That's who I want to have as my teammate. That's what happened. <laughs> she watched hundreds of us and obviously saw the – ambition and the drive and the determination and enough skill and a leadership because beach volleyball to a side the coach can't intervene mm. whereas indoor volleyball the coach runs every stands on the sideline yells at you calls wow. the play whereas beach volleyball they're not even really allowed to clap because wow. that could be seen as a signal like tennis wow so very unique you had to have a different skill set you had mm. to have a bit of a problem solving independent so I think she saw that in me and she came and said you know I'm Anita Palm and she was from Bundaberg and the best beach volleyballer we had in the country and said do you want to move to Sydney and train for the Olympics I mean I'm 18 I live at a house with my mum and dad who pay for everything of that magic washing basket in the corner it just disappears and then goes back into your cupboard clean it smells fresh Food on the table, even wash up. Mum, food in the fridge. Food, taxi, everything. Like at 18, just starting physiotherapy at university, 
she says, do you want to move to Sydney and train for the Olympics? So my dad, who used to play um, professional football for Crystal Palace, mm. semi-professional, let me say, he's not what they get now. He probably got five quid a week. <laughs> um, back in the day in the 60s, because he became an engineer, he wanted to be a cartoonist, Sport didn't. he didn't make it in sport, he said, you have to get your degree. Ah, interesting. Yeah, he could have gone either way. He, he could have could. been like, "Go after it." Yeah, but he's he was like, "You need something to fall back on." Mm. So he wanted me to finish my physiotherapy before I pursued an Olympic dream. And so my first answer to Anita was no. Wow. I said no. I got to finish my degree. I'm two years. I'm in my second year. I'll you know talk to me later. So that lasted. About two weeks of nightmares of what have I done? I rolled out of bed. I'm an idiot. Idiot. I rolled out of bed one day and kicked myself in the bum and said, my dream's to go to the Olympics. This is, I've got a phone call to ask me to go to the Olympics. Not everyone gets that. Um, so I went to dad and I said, look, I've got, I've got to do this. And he was really supportive. And I called Anita back and said, um, have you, because there's only one spot. It's not like there's reserves or she could have filled it with mm, somebody else. Yeah. She said, no, I've, I've still been looking and so within two weeks I'd moved to Sydney. Wow. That's crazy. And that's such a like gutsy move at 18 to be like, yeah, Dad, I think you're wrong. I'm going to go to Sydney. <laughs> well, as you probably had too, right, uh, for that whole 10 years from when I was eight, that dream, I had the dream every night. Yeah. And it was in me uh, at that point. It had got into my blood and, and I – that's all I wanted to do and I let something get in the way because yeah. I was following my parents' advice. Because which, you think you should. Yeah. You get clouded and bogged down with all the shoulds and woulds and, and what know, ifs expectations. And, and Yep, and other people and, and my grandfather was the same. With uh, I had had an American scholarship to go and play in the NCAA. Oh, wow. Leaving high school, indoor volleyball, and my grandparents didn't want me to leave the country. So that was my first no. Mm. Then my dad says, so I'm like, oh, I've said no already. I've got to just keep plowing. I've got to get this degree so he can't say no anymore. Mm. And then I just realised it was too important to not chase. Yeah. And how do you know that that opportunity might, might come re- again? Yeah. Uh, now, ar- ironically, it didn't continue with Anita. There, there's a whole set of reasons why we separated. She did play in the 96 Olympics as the second pairing with uh, Leanne Fendwick. And Kerry and I teamed up, and so Kerry and I went as the um, the other team. So mm. we had two teams represented, and we, of course, won the bronze medal. Um, mm. Fortunately, we didn't have to play against Anita because <laughs> that could have been oh, – that, that can happen. Bad. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it was a very unique time. But to be, our fir- to be the first Australian representatives at Olympic Games for our sport was very, very special. And not only that, but to walk away with a bronze medal – I know, and and I tell people that not only was it bronze, but it was the first ever medal presented to a beach volleyball pairing because they presented the bronze first. Of course, yes. So I take that credit. I reframe every time. Even when I don't win, Libby, I find a way to win. Yes. Drives my partner nuts. (laughs) Uh, I win the toss. I win the bikini competition. I win something because – You've won something. Ultimately – that's my philosophy. We have to teach our kids to go to bed at night, put their head on their pillow and feel like they've won mm. 
at something. At something. Mm. Because we, the, most, the person you spend the most time with is yourself. And unless you can be kind to yourself mm. and uplift yourself, because if we're constantly waiting for others to do it, yeah. we'll be a mess. Constantly. Yeah. Well, so what was, so the next four years then, so were you happy with the bronze? I know that you, you know, <laughs> got presented the first <laughs> That's <medal>. right. <laughs> it was bronze, which is an amazing achievement, but was that enough for you or did that kind of light a spark? Yeah, well, you and I are tragic Olympians and there'll be Olympians listening that never won a medal. Mm. Um, there'll be almost Olympians, which my partner calls herself because she tried to qualify for three Olympics and missed out. Yep. So she's my husband as well. Yeah, uh, we heard Luke's story, um, and so you feel bad when you say that you're not happy with your bronze medal because, of course, ironically though, everybody says bronze was great, but yeah, and I say to people, no one ever goes to bed at night and dreams of coming second. Mm. And whilst it is amazing and we're seeing it um, in the Winter Olympics and we see it where, where the commentators try and tell you that they're proud of you and the country's proud of you and it's so awesome and you shouldn't feel like this, you do because the childhood dream is to stand on top of the podium, to hear the national... There's nothing worse than watching your flag go up and listening to the Brazil national anthem. Mm. And it's those little things that drive and drove my next four years was I stood there on the third step to get my amazing bronze medal that I'm super proud of and as part of the journey to Sydney, watched the flag go up and thought to myself... Four years' time, I'm going to be singing Advanced Australia Fair and I'm going to be not two steps from third to first, but just one. The podi- the one step is in the middle. Yeah. I'm just one side step away. What have I got to do mm. for four years so that I can make sure – now, nothing's guaranteed because let me tell you that, as you know, everyone wants to win. Yeah. There's not a team that goes – Going, oh, I hope I come last. (laughs) And I'm so happy to be here. I'm just happy to be here. That's right. Um, Which sometimes you have to convince yourself. Like if you're in a sport like yours or running where literally your pace isn't there and your time isn't there, then sometimes they are. And and making a, you know, so hard to make the Dolphins team Mm. and the times are so tight and we watch trials on the edge of our seat when they can miss by point oh of a second Mm -hmm. which we refer to as the bee's dick yeah yeah bee's dick (laughs) might be a new name for it because that might not be appropriate but you and i know about the bee's dick right um and when we hit a volleyball it could be out by bee's dick Mm. and that can cost you an olympic medal Mm. and uh you know we have the referees in our hands too that can make subjective calls that you want to shake off the top of the tower but it it is so close splitting hairs between the difference of Bronze, silver, gold, making the team, not. Um, so the long answer to your question is I'm super proud of my bronze medal. I absolutely pushed everything I had. I spent the four-year journey on how to get from bronze to gold. Mm. Skipping silver, I didn't want that experience. You're like, I don't want that. I don't need that. Just straight up gold, please. Especially when there's four years. I mean, and I especially in Sydney. Home crowd. On which beach. Half of that could be pressure. Half of that could be excitement. We 
trained ourselves to use it to uplift us. Mm. There was no pressure. Um, by the time we'd convinced ourselves, it took a lot of convincing, it took a lot of mental training mm. to build the belief and the robustness in the emotional spirit. It's not about physical. People talk about mental stability, mental toughness. It's now emotional resilience. 100%. And when you hit what you thought was the best ball and they dig it or block it or it goes out, it's what you do next. And, you know, in your sport was minutes. Ours is we know we've got at least 45 minutes to navigate. We have parts in our game. Instead of to 21, we play to seven. Mm. We have parts where we know we can change momentum and, and how it all it's – a, it's a mind game, strategy game, but it is resilience of the spirit when you are losing, when you are down, when it's not going right to be able to pull it back out. Now, Sydney for us is – we had different rules to what there are now. The court was the bigger. The scoring was to 15, one set, but you could only get a point when you served. Oh. So it would be like... That's confusing. I know. <laughs> so you had to win the ball back, have it in your hand to be able to win a point. And what, what it meant was there was a long time between points, potentially. You Got could you. go 20 minutes and not score a point. Wow. So after Sydney, they changed that for TV because we, everything's for TV. And now it's three sets to 21 and every ball is a point. And then what they did, just for the – it's only ever happened for one game, the Sydney Olympic final, they made it best of three sets because they wanted to see more on TV. Oh. <laughs> sets to 12. Oh, come on. Which we'd never, <laughs> ever played. And sets to 15. That's fun. I oh, know. Like how do you even – Just your most important game of your career. Of your life. Yeah. And we actually never trained it. Wow. So so you didn't – it? when did they decide that? Oh, probably a few months before as they do or you probably didn't weren't told to the morning, yeah. as you know. <laughs> We've just shoot, shortened the pool by two metres. Yeah. We're just going to – That's t- cool, right? <laughs> the ball just got a bit bigger. Sometimes they do that. They mm. make the ball bigger to give more rallies and we're like, something's wrong with the ball. They're like, no. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> just been in the sun a little bit longer. <laughs> And they don't get how professional we all are and we know every inch. They touch a ball every day. <laughs> and we know the that height of the weird, net. But yeah. A ball, not A balls. ball, not two balls. Not two balls at once. Many balls, but not <laughs> Many at once. Many balls, but not at once. <laughs> Sandy, sweaty, <laughs> beach volleyballs. I mean, can I just digress for one second? This is the thing that i watching the footage from Sydney <laughs> – how do you guys deal with the sand everywhere <laughs> at all times? Because, like, I love the beach. I love it. But also sand everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. I still – I've been retired now 10 years. I still think I have sand in my ears. <laughs> You're still finding I'm it. I'm still – and the place you usually find it is on the pillow because it yes. literally, as you're sleeping, Pulls I'm out. sure you get water out of your <laughs> yes. ear at some point. So there are a few ways – it was ignore it. Yeah. Which is what I did. Now, Kerry was a big sweater. So she, <laughs> it stuck to her like, like a crumb sausage, right? And, or a cinnamon donut, or yeah. we had all these, you know, we had all these funny terms for it. But Kerry had to wear a little towel. She used to cut up towels in the hotel, you know, those little white towels, and stick them in the back of her bikini so that oh. she could wipe. Because there's no point wiping it off on one hand and then you've got to. 
wipe it off on yeah. your face and then, you know, touch the ball. So she'd have these little towels. She hated getting sandy because she, she hated sweat and sand. I feel like she picked a really bad sport. I know. <laughs> it's like um, Thorpey being allergic to chlorine. Yeah. So she, what that meant was she always – she'd never dive. She would just <laughs> – I mean, it's paradoxically funny, right? An oxymoron. But she would say to me, I just, I read the play and I'll be in the right place at the right time. I am not diving. And I'm not diving. So I would often turn around off the block and she'd be there. And if she wasn't there, I'm like, we're not getting that. She, she's not running. So does that mean you have to dive? So I was the diver. <laughs> I, I was okay with sand. I didn't sweat as much. Kerry would say it's because I wasn't working hard enough. <laughs> so we'd have this constant banter and I would say, well, you think you read the play. I'm super good at reading the play. I don't need to work as hard as you. Well, exactly right. Thank God we would banter each other. Yeah. And you'd often banter your opposition. But as it became more professional, you couldn't get away with that because they'd dob on you to the referee. It's like sledging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we just got good at being okay with sand. You'd have to. In places that you never even knew existed. <laughs> like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. That's uh, exfoliating. <laughs> Soft my feet. S- my skin is as new. Yes. And now I find it difficult to go to the beach. It's Yeah, I was going to ask that. How do you find yeah, it now? Is I, it like triggering? It is triggering. I want to get to the water. Yeah. And I'd love, you know, a Segway or something or a hoverboard. Yes. I don't know how we did it for 25 years running through sand but when you get in the lines with a ball, it literally is like a dog playing fetch. Mm. You don't even realise that you're on the sand. But I've had to get excited about it for my daughter. I didn't want yes. my daughter to not – she already has issues with sand. She's <laughs> like, I'd rather go to the pool than the beach. So I've got to – She might be a swimmer. She might be. She actually is doing her lesson. She's, That's cute. Yeah. But she did, yeah, the early starts is a problem for you guys. <laughs> That Sarah can do that. Yeah, that's I'll true. do. I'll do the afternoon session. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, two questions about Sydney, and then we'll move on to the actual topic of this um, podcast. <laughs> the, th- the issue is, Nat, you've been to five Olympic games, so there's lo- a lot to talk about. Um, I I want to know because I I spoke to Kerry um, last year, and I just want to understand from your perspective what that final was like in mm-hmm. Sydney because. I, like I've had the opportunity to race in front of – on home soil in front of a home crowd and things like that in Melbourne a couple of times. And it's really special, but it's not an Olympics. It was a World Champs and a Commonwealth Games, which was magic. But to have a home Olympics, to stand on Bondi Beach for that opportunity that you have worked pretty much your whole life for – how do you manage yourself in that situation? <laughs> I know. And, and what's hard is explaining to people, like you just said, it's not an Olympics when you do the Com Games and the World Championships. Like they're special. They are. But it's not an Olympic. I know. And how, how do you it, – it's so difficult to explain what that means. But you and I get it. Mm. And, and anyone that wears the Olympic rings on their chest gets it. Um, it's difficult to explain. But – to walk, the irony is, and I, and I sit here and think, you know, that the swim team is a pinnacle of the Olympic movement and is we the swimmers go first off the blocks. We look to you guys to win medals to get us in the 
We start the momentum. You do. We hope. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> most of the we time. We only Not had always. a couple of rough starts. but <laughs> And the rest of the Olympic team knows that. So mm. we're all on the edge of our seat watching relays and the first people out of the blocks and and I was a swimmer. So I do have an affinity um, for that. And Susie's been one of my heroes as well growing up and being in Sydney with her. and mm. um, So it's a long way roundabout to say that we envy um, – I give swimmers a hard time sometimes because we're je- I'm jealous. Mm. The, the level of support around the swim team, and I'm about to give you a story why it's important. We didn't stay in the village. Ah. We stayed at Randwick in an adult Catholic nunnery. Oh. With the nuns. Oh. Still in the nunnery. Okay. Why? Because – just because it was close, close, way closer. So in Homebush, obviously. It was a. Uh, was that where the yeah. village was? Yep. Yeah. Hometown advantage to have a ten-minute ride instead of an hour and ten-minute ride. Yes. That we put the rest of the world through to Bondi Beach. It's still a nunnery. I feel like there could have been something. Yeah, other there could have been. <laughs> it's like a little boarding school, and they would cheer up. They were so cute. You know, they ironed their handkerchiefs and their little outfits. You know, the, the nun's outfits are ironed. They're perfect. Wow. They would clap us out. As we went to the opening ceremony, That's they would pretty sweet. sing, Aussie, 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 <laughs> oi, oi, oi. And they take credit for our medal well. because they had they prayed well, for yes. us. Yep. So here's the catch. We had moved in there two weeks before the Games. We made it feel like home. We Everything's going to plan. We're winning. We had didn't lose a game. Mm. We win the semifinal and we have a day break. 23rd of September, 2000, we win the semi against the team, half of the team that beat us in Atlanta. That was the most nerve-wracking game. Final was easy compared to the semi because that's where we lost last mm, time. Gotcha. So the emotion comes back out. One it of them worries. Had, the... One of them had beaten us. Yes. So you're trying to eyeball them through the net. Anyway, that, that's a different game. We win that. We go back to the nunnery and our coach says, um, we have a problem. What do you mean we have a problem? We can't stay here. I'm like, what, what, the nuns aren't happy with us in our bikini? (laughs) Our performance? What's going on? Well, there's a road cycling race that's happening the same day as your final and they're going to lock down the roads so you can't get out. Come on, guys. So we – Logistics. Logistics. Hello, Hello, Mr. Coates. Did nobody think nobody about thought this? we were going to win? Clearly, well, I was just going to say nobody thought you were going to be exactly like a no asshole. You start Come to on. think what the so whether our team had been trying to manage that and they knew or mm. not, I still don't know. Pack up our bags. Could you imagine, Libby? The day before. The day before you're about to swim. That would never happen to a swimmer. No. Ever. Not ever. You'd move the pool before you'd move (laughs) Libby Trickett (laughs) or Susie O'Neill or Ian Thorpe. That's insane. So we pack up our suit. I'm like, we have our post. We have our inspirational quotes. We have our. And you, more importantly, well, as importantly, your routine, your rhythm, like you just. That you have the things that you do that make you feel comfortable. And your bed and your pillow. You know how important that is. Mm -hmm. So. We're like Kerry and I are taking things off the wall that we're going to stick up now in a hotel room in Bondi. So now we're in the public hotel, Libby, <laughs> in the Swiss Grand, which is no longer called that, but it's the same building, with no security. Like walking across the road in our bikini, backers and forwards. 
and having everyone kind of mob us. So that that was really um, confronting. Confronting, and you know where you go through, breathe, yeah. don't don't think about it, change your mindset. It's not easy to do no. when you've spent your whole life preparing for this moment. So that was a big, and it's not what you imagine it's going no, to be. Everyone thinks it's rosy because mm. all they see is the last thirty seconds with gold medal to cook hey. and pot us. Yep. Like, did you know what we had to go through mm. to get here? So. That rattled us enough to have us probably laser focus in. You know, I don't know if it happened to you. I was just going to say, that happens. When you get sick, you actually Mm. maybe perform better sometimes because you have to do the little things. Perfect. Perfect. So we get out. It's quite iconic. There's tunnels. For those that don't know, under the pavilion in Bondi, there's tunnels to come out um, onto the beach. And the stadium was built over the top of these tunnels. So we were underneath the stadium while the crowd's going off and the sand's coming, dripping through on us. And so we're hiding underneath as they announce us out onto the court. And that was probably the biggest goosebump moment where it was real. Pinch me, it's all here. And we were playing Brazil, who we'd played 17 times and only beaten once. (laughs) Right? Odds are good. Odds are good. <laughs> in a race like a 100-metre swim, you'd probably go, probably not today. Not ideal. Yeah. But we had worked on our emotional resilience and our teamwork was really important um, because we could see the Brazilians fighting a little bit and we knew that was part of our game plan, that if they started to crack, to go after the crack, which is serve the middle mm. instead of you know have strategies on either player – it's quite intense. Like your strategies, dive in, swim fast, hit the wall first, right? Yeah. I mean, can't get much more simple, yeah. clearly. That's idea. Kathy Freeman, gun goes off, run fast. Yeah. Ours is quite a yeah. lot of strategic. Intricate. Yeah. Don't get sand in the wrong places. <laughs> yeah. Watch out for the sun. Get the ball. Move from the nunnery. <laughs> get the ball over the net in the lines of the other person's court, right? And I'm being really simplistic, but we had a lot of – emotional stuff to deal with with Brazil because they were the number one country in the world and had dominated for a long time. Mm. So just we were down the whole way. We were the good old-fashioned underdog making the comeback and clawing our way back every single point. We were 10-8 down in the first set in a game to 12. Usually you win by two but you only had to just get to 12. Okay. 10-8 down, 11-8 down and we won 12-11. And this is a team that doesn't usually give up a lead. Mm. Like that's also part of what they're good at when they get out in front. But in those high-pressure moments, and we cracks had the, end up appearing. And I was orchestrating the – Kerry's very tunnel vision, mm. narrow. She needs to focus on herself. I need to get external because mm. if I start thinking about myself, I combust. Mm. So I would be Bondi Dave, the guy running around the outside. I'd be high-fiving Bondi Dave. I'd be lifting the crowd. I, I just um, – had to feel like I was an actor in a play. Yeah. And you're outside of yourself. Outside of myself. Yeah. And the volleyball, the training had been done. And I had to ride the emotional wave and use the crowd and 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 put emotional pressure on them, not through volleyball, but just through energy. Yeah. And so that's what I remember more. And there are a couple of key points and um that were turning points. And then the final point that Kerry ran for the ball. She actually did she, for once. And I and it was the we're wrong joking, time. Kerry, by the way. No, no, we're not, Kerry. Libby could be joking. I'm not. We've enough water under the bridge, been 22 years. She'll be right. Um, 
I'm at the net blocking and I feel it go over the top. I'm trying to get it, swat it back and I miss it because it's quite high and you have a sixth sense that it's going to be out and I've turned and I'm thinking this is out and I see Kerry running. I'm like, what? Don't go for the one that goes yeah, out. Exactly. The one time that you run, Kerry. Because <laughs> she's thinking, it's a gold medal, I better run. It could be the last <laughs> point. I don't need to get deal with it. And I am I turn around and I, I see her and my heart goes in my mouth and I'm like, no, <laughs> which is a no to stop it. Like, yeah. So her arm goes out and then she hears me. She says that she heard me and so she pulled her arm back. Now the So the, she dove for no reason. Yes. <laughs> That's even better. But the ball went out by a bee's dick. Wow. And our coach always says, never leave the close ones. But mm. I knew, I just knew. I just knew that it was out. And she pulled back and left it. And so I looked at the ref, I looked at the lines person and she called the flag out. I looked at the referee and the referee closed the game. And then I looked back at Ken. This all happens in slow motion. Mm. And she's on the ground, Sandy. And I just collapse on top of her and uh, make her more sandy. make her more push her down <laughs> in the sand, and she's like, "I can't believe it! I can't believe it!" And I said, "What do you mean you can't believe it? You silly woman! Get up! We've been talking about this for the last six years, and it just a very very special moment to have family and friends um, in the stands. And as you know, you only get two tickets. Yeah, you get one. Swimmers get one. Mm. We get two that we have to." buy wow we don't have we don't get them for free yeah. and that day I had 35 friends in the audience Amazing. and um yeah I just they still say it's the highlight of their life too so it's pretty special that's a, yeah I mean that's just goosebumps stuff like what you have to go through to get to that point but then to execute it on the day mm. like that's the thing that most athletes or not a lot of athletes get to experience yeah, and being in that zone, they talk about the zone or mm. now they talk about the flow state because they're so enlightened yes. and this mindfulness, yes. which we were doing <laughs> 25 years ago, mind Just you. Just not consciously. We didn't call it that. Um, it, when you get in that state, there's a couple of times when I watch the video and I don't watch it often. Um, oh, it's not on every Saturday afternoon. No. <laughs> we're sitting down and watching it again, Jordan. Come on. I do. I did take all my friends to gold class for the 20-year anniversary and we put it on the big screen. That's pretty cool. And I tried to make Jordan watch it, but she wanted to watch Peppa Pig at 3-1. I'm like, this is not Come good. On, Come on. And even my parents and friends watching it that seen it, obviously, in person, would turn around to me like they remember points or mm. – but there are a few points where even on the, my face, the look is disbelief of how that happened. Wow. And just to know that you could do things outside of yourself that you dreamt about that you actually hadn't pulled off Yeah, in practice, even though you tried, mm. on the day. In that moment. In that moment is what never ever I've never felt in my life in, yeah. in any other area. So. Yeah. After after Sydney, obviously, it would have been a huge wave of, like, joy and celebration. And I know that Kerry went on to retire after Sydney and you decided to keep going. How do you come down off that? <laughs> well, I still haven't. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I mean, to be fair, I still haven't. I, I effectively built a self-generated wave pool that keeps the wave going. Mm. Um 
through constantly talking about it at schools and Olympics Unleashed and being a part of the Olympic movement and going on to three more Olympics, I feel like it's in my blood and it's in my DNA and the Olympic values. Um, I just like to talk to everyone about mm-hmm. and not even talk to but live. Yeah, I do feel like I live those values embody of excellence 100%. all the time and so much so that, you know, Jordan will go, Mum, there's the rings. Mum, there's the rings. There's even a, We did Where's Wally book the other day and there's a – the Olympic rings are on a podium in a Where's Wally book. So that, good. So she can see it. She identifies it. She does think the Audi car is the Olympic rings. I have to train that, <laughs> train that out, out of, her. of her. Sorry, Toyota. <laughs> I have to train that out of her So um, as the Olympic sponsor. So it, it is something that is synonymous with the symbol is excellence and friendship and respect. And we are great friends with our opposition. We travel the world with them. But when we get in the four lines, it's – on mm. and we all try to do our best and then off the court there's that um, humility and respect and um, so Kerry did retire ironically she came she back she came back yes uh, and that was a whole nother experience in life having to say no to that phone call that said do you want to play mm. and you know in hindsight if I if there's one regret I would have liked to have defended our gold medal mm. But I knew that she was done after that one and Nicole and I started to build this great partnership. Um, Leading into Athens. Leading into Athens. Mm. And I knew there was more games with Nicole because, remember, Kerry's still 10 years older than me. (laughs) I was going to say, she's still too old. Still too old. And so I thought that Nicole and I had a good future and we were building something. And so Kerry picked up Summer. Lockowitz. Ah, wow. Ah, that, that's how the it's. The one who is inspired by you. In Townsville, friend, family friend, City Beach, Jace. And so that was like just a full circle moment of, you know, Lisa Curry inspiring me, me inspiring Summer until we had to play each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were in the same rooms, the same apartment. We went to bed at midnight not knowing the schedule for the next two days. We could have played any time in two days. If we had an early nine o'clock, they would have woken us up or we'd wake up to a note under our door. So I see the clock. I see it's not early. I'm like, we're not playing early. I pick up the note. On the note, it was going to have who we were going to play and it said Podhast and Lockowitz. And I'm like, my heart just dropped. And it was that day. 2.30 or something. and I, I just feel like the system's in volleyball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's an it's not fair. Um, they do split you up so you're not in the pool play together or something. So they try and make it so that you don't play each other. But at this time we're in, you know, the last 16, so you can't avoid those mm. country matchups. And the volleyball people actually don't mind because it gets rid of an Australian or a Brazilian so they're not all on the podium. But you. Which ultimately is why you can't have three teams from Brazil or America because they don't want an all-Brazil podium or an all-Australian podium. Mm. So I stick. I remember peeking out of the room to see if Kerry and Summer around and they'd left. They'd got up early and they just <laughs> left the building. And I'm like, Nick, all clear. And then we sort of realised that that was going to be our moment. And I'd had a shoulder injury which cost us – I do believe it costs us our medal and Nicole, I really wanted Nicole to experience 
um, an Olympic podium, which came fourth. Mm. Fourth is a hard oh, position. I reckon it's the worst. It's worse than last. Yeah. It's worse than silver and it's worse than bronze, oh. obviously. But <laughs> yeah. Well, like silver's you- bad and then fourth is terrible. And in, you know, in swimming you touch out for silver and like watching Kyle Chalmers at the last when he came oh, second. Yeah. And um, but in volleyball you lose a game and that's so you you come out a loser, right? Yeah. And it's really bad. Whereas mm. bronze, you win the game. Yes. And you come out a winner. You won. So that's – it's just – It's perspective, Matt. It's, you just embody it. Yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> you embody that I never excellent. came second. No. I never, ever got silver. I always the third or You were first. always the winner of the game. Swimming taught me that. I was like, I'm never going to come in this second place ever. Yes. I'd rather come to third. <laughs> um, so, yeah – the fourth was devastating because of an injury and Nicole and I both ended up, she had a shoulder problem as well. So we uh-huh. both had 2005 off with shoulder reconstructions and then I was coming back and she needed a hip reconstruction. <sighs> so then it was done, Nick was done and I picked up Tamsin Barnett at the time and now she's Hinchley. So she played one Olympics under Barnett and one Olympics when she was married under Hinchley and we went to two together. and Wow. But how do you make that decision? Because it, it's four years. Mm. You know, that's a big commitment to to continue on as your body's getting older, more injuries occur, do you train smarter, more efficiently? Like, And it's a commitment for you and everyone around you. Well, th- the hardest part is as I got older and Tamsin was younger, um, she wanted to train more. Mm. And she was a thoroughbred. She was like the perfect physical volleyball specimen, six foot four, just could keep going. Whereas I was the sage and the wisdom. <laughs> the experience. And I became Kerry. I wasn't running. I wasn't <laughs> jumping. I'm not diving for that one. I clearly got smarter. Uh, and she wanted to train more. And so, you know, I would come to training on a Monday fresh after having a day and a half off and feel like I could go three hours but I knew that by Thursday that would be a detriment. So we, we would have alarms that would go off at an hour and a half and she'd look at me like a little puppy dog going, well, we're done. <laughs> and I'm like, I ha- I'm my done. knee, my shoulder, I'm done. If you want me to play on Thursday, which tournaments are four days, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so you could see the little shoulders drop and then the coach would have to get out. So had to get smarter, had to get better in the gym, rehab, had to do more physio, chiro, acupuncture, osteo. I mean, I tried everything. <laughs> Got to try everything. Once. I was in search of the healer. Yep. You know, I had a witch doctor too that did alternative therapy. Um, well, by the time you're 37, <laughs> you need all that. <laughs> you need all that. Keep my yeah. body stuck together. Please. Well, so after Athens and the shoulder, I had to go. I'm like, I can't finish like that. Mm. I want to go back. Tamsin and I were doing great. We finished fifth. We lost in the quarters to a Brazilian team, and as we shook hands under the net, they went on to come fourth. As we shook hands under the net, she goes, oh, thanks for writing your book, Go Girl. I read that and uh, worked out how to beat you. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, that was probably shouldn't have travelled outside of Australia, but anyway. <laughs> um, so she must have got into my psyche, and uh, they were very technically good. Um, we had a great game. We lost narrowly, and sometimes you – 
That's what happens. Yeah, we do get good at justifying too, Libby, don't yeah. we? You know, I slipped on the block. <laughs> the turn wasn't quite my there. Shoulder. My shoulder. <laughs> we have to, otherwise you yeah. go into talk about mental health. <laughs> we all had shit. mental health issues <laughs> that we had to overcome. What? <laughs> Toughen up, princess. Exactly. (laughs) A toughen up, princess. I heard all the time, like um, you know, the evolution of how all that's going and how Mm. high performance sport, and that's a whole new topic. But yeah, I really did. After Beijing, I was ready to stop. I stopped for a year to have it. I said I need a year off, which was the worst thing I could have done. Do Mm. never, never. If there's any Olympians listening in three or four Olympics. Don't go from 10 to zero is my advice. Oh, go from 10 to five, right? Best advice. Because coming back, I remember my Impossible. first month, I was like, what am I doing here? Coming back from zero. And I remember, I hate rain. I remember, and I would always, because our sport was an independence, I, I employed the coach. <laughs> I paid the coach. Wow. Which meant I could fire the coach. Yes. So he wasn't the best organiser. I was the organiser of the team. So I would call him and say, it's raining. We'll just wait for this rain to blow over. Now, we would play in the rain, but I didn't like it. So I'm like... <laughs> I don't have to. I'm not going that's to. That's right. So training, w- weather map says training should be at eight. It's now at one. Or I've got a speaking job or just don't feel like it today. Yeah. So I was in charge of that. And I remember my first week back, I was in the rain. And I thought... I must really want to do this if I'm hurting, my knee's sore, I'm in the rain and I'm here by myself. I came back without a partner actually because Tamsin was in Melbourne and she'd have a, had a baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm like, my body's going to take longer to come back than hers because um, she's a thoroughbred, so I better start. Um, and I felt like I just wanted to go to one more because you're a long time retired. Yes. So were you kind of aware of that at the time you – you had that consciously in your brain that you were a long time retired and that you – and also you were, you were the first woman to go to five Olympics. Yeah, and, and that was probably to get my fifth doona. Yeah. <laughs> like let's be honest. <laughs> People think it's for medal. It's not just the medal, it's the doona. And I was just chasing the thrill of that Olympic experience, which is um, – I miss it so much. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing else like it. Yeah, that fine line between – Excellence being the best you can be, but knowing you might not make it, um, but that the anticipation, yeah, there's the, like at this moment, yeah, that's yeah. right. That that you can't buy, you can't you can't practice, mm. you can't even look. People say, "How do we do Olympic um, simulation planning?" I'm like, "No, nah. you cannot create that Olympic factor that yeah. goes on top of." And sadly. <laughs> You go to your first one, you go, oh, I got an experience and you have to wait four years for the next one. But that's what makes it special too. Yes. So I just wanted to go one more time, wanted to be in the village with the rest of the Australian team, wanted to march in the opening ceremony, um, do all those things, not so much about the volleyball, just being in that experience. Did you find with with London, because you, you you've always been quite a leader within – obviously not just within your team, but within the Australian Olympic team as well. And I definitely remember you in London taking on a very much um, almost an advocacy role. You were, you know, really advocating for yourself to be flag bearer, for a woman to be flag bearer at that stage. 
because there, you know, is always men <laughs> to that point, it yeah. seemed like. But, like, did you really consciously go into that role? Because it, it's something that was quite, I don't know, it almost felt new for a woman to be like, hey, I've gone to five Olympics. I, you know, have won two Olympic medals at the highest level in my sport. Why not consider me? Mm. Yeah, you brought that up in a very nice frame, Libby. I was, I, it, not many people talk about it um, because they probably don't want to ask me the question. But I don't think I consciously went with, well, you should pick me. I used myself probably in hindsight as a sacrificial lamb mm. to, to say – if I'd had my time again strategically, because I I would have been absolutely honoured to carry the flag, yeah. and did once and I, would have been deserving. Uh, well, <laughs> and once I talked myself into it, was okay with self-nominating. Mm. Uh, but I probably could have said a female should carry the flag. Here's a list of five of us. Mm. But I still would have put myself in there, right? Oh, yeah. I, like no, but uh, it, it was interesting how it was perceived. Yeah, because you got you copped a lot of. I flag. copped it. I copped it massively. But I think that's because we're not used to seeing women advocate mm. for themselves. And Absolutely. Why, why are, you were perfectly yeah, deserving yeah. of yep. holding that flag and being flag bearer for Australia. And it, it's just funny because I think if you or someone does that now, I think more people would be more receptive to it because it'd be like, yeah, standing up for yourself. Yeah, that's like, right. You yeah, get it. You, you grab get yours. That. There was a funny Google um, picture that had me in my bikini trying to steal it off Lauren, <laughs> trying to grab it. I, it I, it's not there now, but I, I remember being sent a lot of it. I remember being dragged out of bed literally by my ears by Ian Hansen. Um, Hanso. <laughs> a knock on the door who who said, you you have to get up and explain yourself. I mean, what do you mean, what do you mean I have to get up and explain myself? Because we'd gone to bed and the morning TV here had picked up had picked up on something I'd said in a press conference. Now, ironically, that it was at our uniform try on. So we got all our uniform collection in London, and we got all of our gear. And there were four of us collecting it all, and we and and the media, maybe ten press people were there, and the swimmers hadn't arrived yet, so they were bored. So they were with us for hours. They were like, we've got nothing else to write about, so we might write about beach volleyball. And I remember the journalist clearly. She was right-hand side. I remember her face and she asked a question. The flag comment had come up a lot and she asked a question about what if you don't carry the flag? Now, this is the distinction in my mind that I try and talk to Jordan about. My mind goes to a reframe of, but what if I do? Mm. It's worth thinking to about. Go, yeah, and asking. I always am an advocate of ask for what you want, with the caveat of you have to be prepared for the no. Yeah, but that's right? what I've always loved and respected about you because you do you put yourself forward, mm. and why can't we? Yeah, you know, I think that's something that a lot of young women need to learn mm. is to ask for what you need or what you would like. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're always going to, as, as we teach it. our kids, Does you can ask for chocolate and ice cream every day of the week, but doesn't mean you're going to get it. Now, yeah. that's what made me successful for Sydney, and so I kept it going. Now, I was under no, I was under no illusion that there were others that were as deserving, mm. and I had no idea at 
what it was going to cause because there were two parts to it. The first part was, well, you've asked for a female to carry the flag, so now if we give it to one, it's going to be token. That was one of the sentiments. Well, that's not true. And the second one was, well, you've asked for it, so clearly that's un-Australian, you can't have it. So they were the two messages that I was getting after the journos. So she said, what if you don't? And my brain went, it was like, well, that's a silly question. It took a while to readjust because I always look at the what if I do. Mm. And I said, well... This is the line I used and I, I still don't know how much of it got back. Actually, I do know how much of it did. In the context <laughs> of a two-hour interview while they sat there twiddling their thumbs waiting mm. for the swimmers to come in, I said, well, I throw all my toys out of the pram and sit there and cry. <laughs> so the headline was, <laughs> cook to throw toys out of pram and cry if she doesn't get the flag. And so it, it all just got went pear-shaped and it became awkward mm. in the village it became awkward around specific people mm. and uh, it was not comfortable and so I had to kind of fake it. Um, to that be, must have been – It was difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was difficult and I've, you know, I've blocked a lot of that out. Sorry to break it Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had put it in a box in the back of the storeroom. I packed it right down yeah, yeah. deep and, and here you're just bringing right. it up. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's the, it's what it's about, right? Because I do – that's how I get through when people talk about how do you stay so positive all the time. How do you, I do look on the bright side. I do mm. look for the um, gold linings. I yeah. don't look for silver linings. I look for gold <laughs> linings. And so to do that, it's like, well – got to learn from it. That's right. you got to look at it and go, okay, so that moment, that was not meant for me, but what can I take away? What can I do to improve? Was that actually what I wanted or was I advocating or, you know, what is the issue with advocating for oneself? And, and most people would stop asking after that, right, yeah. because we see it in kids and we see people that get the smack on the wrist or the smack on the bum, and which we do in beach volleyball, we get the smack on the bum. Um, and what would happen next is – the opportunity came again and, and I would normally as a human stand back and go, well, I'm not going to do that this time because I got a whack mm. last time and that's something I consciously didn't want to do. It was – that was a no. Yeah. Someone else chose some other destiny mm. and I and it was a no but it's not going to stop me yeah. doing that again and so I continue to ask. Mm. Now I continue to ask for athletes to get more money. Yeah. I continue to ask for females at the front line. But I think that's exactly uh, not was the start because obviously the, there's so many elements that come into who you are now as a person. But, you know, you're, you're clearly in these roles now to advocate for young athletes, for athletes who deserve more, who deserve to be seen for what they're trying to achieve and what they're working towards. And I feel like that was like a real key part of that mm. journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me personally and for me to, you know, like not many people ask about it because they're like, ooh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But it it really showed me how important it is to stand up for yourself. Yes. And I didn't then want to go to the opening ceremony, mm. right? So what do you do? How do you, how do you as a leader continue to show the support and walk anyway? So it could have been quite easy to not walk. Yes. Um I knew at I knew before the announcement it wasn't me. Mm. So the press was coming that night to go, oh, you know, the cameras are on, 
They're Where asking me. Where are those me, toys that you're throwing? That's right. <laughs> and they're asking me, oh, what? You, you know, do you still think you're going to get it type thing? And mm. and I'm standing there knowing I'm not going to and holding, being able to hold that line to show that you don't always get what you want but you have to advocate. And it was not only for me but for every other person that believed they deserve things in life mm. and and ask for it. Yeah, because it, it ended up going to a woman, which was one wonderful. Yep, one tick. Yep. Which was great, yeah. right? Um, and now the rule, the IOC's changed the rule where it has to be a male and a female. Or not has to be. They've actually encouraged. So I don't think it's a mandate. I think it's an encouragement which every country is clearly taking on. But would that have happened had it not been yeah. for the, the, that conversation that you raised yeah. and you advocating for yourself and for other women in Australia? Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I think I, I, I yeah, well, as a fan of you, I'm really proud of you for that. Moment. Oh, thanks. Because <laughs> it would have been really, really bloody hard. Yeah, well, it, it was a very interesting time. And as well, I feel like 2012, a lot of the media was primed to look for the negatives because, you know, we had – uh, Lisa Jones body shamed. We had the Still Knox party <laughs> amongst the swimmers. We had Everyone- James Magnuson dethroned oh. um, energetically for saying he wanted to win. How like- dare he say he wanted to win? I mean, that- I mean, it, yeah, it was it was funny because at the time, seeing Maggie sort of say that he wanted to win, I was like, oh, maybe don't, <laughs> don't do that, um, because that's how I've grown up. Yep. And it really challenged the way that I was thinking mm. about things and like how embarrassing if, God forbid, you say you want to win the gold medal and then you don't. Mm. <laughs> like what an idiot you'll look like. Which was why when you were advocating for yourself, I was like, it was like it, it really shifted the way that I was thinking yeah. about stuff. I was like, why can't we? Yeah. Why can't we do that? And shame on the media for what they did to to James because – you have to build that. Like it's like the 100-metre sprinter in the track. Yeah. You saying Bolt never said I want to come second. Mm. He's always I'm going to win and he struts it's around. It's a tall poppy yeah. thing that we it's have. Like how dare we think that we're going to win yeah. or want to win. But but every elite athlete thinks that they can win. <laughs> like, and they're af- That's why we're there. But they are afraid to say they want to yeah. because I in case someone was. pulls the, the rug out from under mm. you and we spend a lot of time like that. I remember – a hockey roo saying to me before Sydney because I said, oh, we're going to win. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> don't do why, that. Why are you saying that? What if you don't? Yeah. Same as the what if you don't carry the flag, right? Yeah. I had the same. I'm like, but what if I do? Well, what if I do? And so if we can take that switch and go, well, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. And what if I do, my life will completely change, then that's worth going for mm. than the opposite. And tell my philosophy is tell as many people as you can yes. your dreams and goals because you never know yeah. who can help you. Yes. If 100%. you keep it to yourself. Yes. That's that's now where I am in life. That's exactly where I'm at. It's funny. I, I was very um, guarded with my goals. It was only kind of my coach and the people closest to me that – not even my closest friends, like my husband Luke and my coach really <laughs> – people who knew what I was going for and it's funny I don't know if I've I've mentioned this um story on the podcast yet but I've only just recognized that in 2008 I was going for five gold medals Mm. like I could only just admit that to myself now 14 years later (laughs) like and and 
I couldn't admit that to myself. And I think that's why when it didn't obviously transpire like that, I was so disappointed, Mm. you know, like you just get so – it's what it's not what you were going for. It's greedy. Look, five yeah, gold and I, medals. And I was <laughs> gonna say, you know, and you'd got settle for four, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then you see Emma McKeon, our greatest ever now, overtaking yeah. Thorpe. Um, it was literally watching her that I realised that that's what I was going for. I was mm. like, ah, oh, that's what I was aiming for. I wanted to win the fifty and hundred freestyle, the hundred butterfly, the relays. Yeah, didn't get it. But that's you don't always get what you, you want. Don't and. When we and I wonder if I had admitted that to myself mm. whether things would have been different. Probably not, but yeah, you don't know. No, you don't. Yeah, but it's and you see it with Kate Campbell and how many medals she's won, and still that disappointment. Um, it's it's sad as a fellow Olympian, with the greatest respect for all of the Olympians, more so the females, um, because you know there's. Female sport has come on the rise recently, but mm. we went in our day, female sport was always second yeah, tier. 100%. And now we make up more than 50% of the Olympic team. We're winning more than 50% of the medals. And it's amazing, but that's still not recognized financially or otherwise. Yeah. And to see K- Kate so devastated and disappointed in her performance when how many medals has she got yeah so many (laughs) you know enough she's got enough medals (laughs) yeah and if you go back to what I said with my grandfather that's in all of us it's like how much did you win by how many have you won yes I've been to do you think that pushed you to go to five oh absolutely yeah it's that longevity yeah that legacy and he had passed and I partly you know probably for him had him in my ear going Mm. You know how how many to go? How many four's not enough? Two medals isn't four is enough. Four is not enough. <laughs> yeah, and when they say you know you win medals, and we always say the swimmers, you guys can win more. Mm. We only get a chance ever at every four years to win one. Yeah. Where relays and now mix how exciting the mix relays, but mix relays and relays and individual swims, um, we don't get that opportunity. So when people say, "Oh, is that all?" <laughs> When someone says to me, have you only got two medals or is that all? I'm like. Like that's hurtful. Like I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> yes. And if I don't punch Screw you in the you, face. How many do you have? Yeah. If I don't punch you in the face, when you turn around, you're going to run into a tree. Yeah. Because that's just not cool. <laughs> so when, uh, after London, did you know going into London that that would be your last? Yeah. Okay. And did you have plans for what you were going to do after? I, I definitely thought I'd outstayed my welcome. London was a stretch. To go to five, the effort and the lead-in was unbelievable. And on paper, we shouldn't have made that. And we had people in the Volleyball Federation say we weren't going to make it and that we w- wouldn't get supported. Mm. So there's battles. Even after you go to four Olympics and you win two Olympic medals, there's yeah. still someone in the system like that, that's enough now <laughs> that wants to say oh we don't think you're good enough mm. I'm like are you for real um so that came up and then since Athens I knew beach volleyball wasn't a high paying sport I actually didn't make any money playing beach volleyball because I paid it all back to my coach um I made my money to survive through corporate speaking mm. and if it wasn't for that I would have had to get a job and who knows, you know, the exhaustion working because public speaking is 
energetically exhausting, but it's short bursts. Yes. Like a 50-metre sprint. Yep. Whereas going to work's a marathon every day, all day, all the hours you have to do in between your training. So that has got me through for the last 25 years. And I built a beach volleyball centre at QE2. Yes. Home of the 1982 Commonwealth Games, home of the QAS, home of where I was picked for volleyball. Down in the car park now, um, the netball and basketball stadium is right next to it. So I built that. That was where I trained. That was my business. Mm. And I thought I was going to make my money through that business because you grow up thinking you get a business. Yeah. You get a business, you earn money, right? Money. It costs me money. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all right. I'm giving back to the industry. That's all right. Justify. I'll, ju- I'll pay out. My brother works there. I, You know, it's good for the sport. Mm. I'll just work harder at my corporate speaking to pay for my business. <laughs> so that lasted, you know, I trained there. It lasted 10 years. And then when Jordan was born, I sold it mm. to a friend. I said, this is a great business. <laughs> it's a business. You can make you can lots of money. You can make lots of money. And you probably could if you worked in it. Mm. I just didn't want to work in it, so I paid staff to work in it. Um, and then you learn that you have to deal with staff. Yeah, that's whole, a whole other thing. whole other thing. I learned about business, learned about accounting and tax and HR and stock take and marketing and everything in a small business um, and realised I shouldn't be in that game. Mm. And so I kept doing corporate speaking and – like I said, my daughter was born and we ended up going to Switzerland for a sabbatical and uh, for a year and a bit and learning about the IOC and travelling Europe. And um, and then when I came back, I got into a role with government because I knew that we were on the cards for a 32 Olympics and I sort of recommended to a few people that they should have an Olympian in there advocating. And so... This is you asking for right. what you want. I did. I did. I, I, I literally said enough. I went to enough functions where there were politicians and I heard them speak and open envelopes and I knew their language. And so I would see them and say, hey, this, have you got an Olympian on the have team? Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? Would it be a good idea? I think I would be great. <laughs> I didn't go to – I learned my lesson, <laughs> yes. Libby. I, subtle. I subtle. sell. I, I um, read about humility – <laughs> I read about this concept. One of the Olympic values. <laughs> and I, I, I pushed forward that you should have an Olympian. Mm. And then I said, you know, maybe you should ask some Olympians whether that would be good. Mm. And then they offered a job and we a few of us applied and I got picked. So I've been in there two years helping um, elite sport, elite success, the pathway, club sport, and, of course, I was part of the bid team to win the 2032 Olympics for Brisbane. How did that feel? Very surreal, mm. very um, sitting at the table with the Premier, the Sports Minister, the Prime Minister, John Coates, uh, Bridie Keane was a Paralympic representative and delivering via Zoom during a pandemic mm. to IOC members um, and you had your part. You're what like, was your role? My role was to speak about the athletes and the purpose of the athletes and how important they are and the the heart of the Olympic movement and how great a Brisbane 32 Games would be for the athlete experience from all over the world. So, you know, I gave my three, four-minute pitch every time we were at the table. So I'm now advocating for an athlete at every table and a Paralympic athlete at every table and how we – and then there's the Indigenous athlete 
So by the time we finished, it'll just be made up or of athletes. as it should be. That's right, Libby. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that's sort of how the evolution came. I knew that volleyball wasn't going to sustain my life or my lifestyle because mm. I'd had a great lifestyle travelling the world, the best beaches in the world, um, even playing in the Swiss Alps and playing under the Eiffel Tower in Paris, which is where 2024 is going to be for wow. beach volleyball. And Copacabana Beach in Brazil and just – amazing experience and so I needed to find a way to justify my lifestyle and I needed a job at the age of 45. (laughs) But is that weird to like, uh, I don't know, because it's such a different lifestyle having a a job in inverted commas. Like how how do you make that shift mentally Mm. to be like sitting at a desk just on meetings, doing meetings. Zoom meetings. So Change many meetings. meetings all of the time. I know, there's more meetings And waiting for people to come back to you rather than being able to just, yeah, yeah let's do it. Well, fortunately, I don't see it as a job. I see it again as advocating and being part of the Olympic Games legacy. Mm. So it's an extension of my DNA and it's an extension of what I do and it's just, inverted commas, in a job. And, of course, I have people um, within the government and the Premier and um, the Sports Minister that help guide the direction. But I basically am trying to find a way to make it better for the athlete from Mm. the ground up and the sports system and innovating the sports system and how do we incorporate sport tech in that. And and my bosses have been great in letting me have some leeway. Mm. And to do that, I actually don't sit behind a desk a lot. I'm out meeting people. Partnerships is part of what I do, relationships. And infecting everyone, it's probably not good to use the word infect. <laughs> it's during, during a COVID, pandemic, but, but that's okay. infecting everyone with uh, Rupert McCall's green and gold malaria. Mm. Um, and he's our sports poet. He does a great green and gold malaria rendition. But it's the mosquito with the Olympic bug, right? So when you get infected with that and it courses your veins – it just makes me get up every day trying to be the best I can be and it doesn't mean I'm always good. Yeah. Sometimes I come fourth and fifth and don't even make the card mm. and it's difficult and I cry and I want to roll over and go back to sleep because I'm not getting the wins and I have to reframe. I'm learning about – I used to believe advocating was pushing all the time and driving and pushing and mm. I'm learning that it's sometimes about standing back and standing allowing to the to side happen. and listening and allowing and putting things in the right place and hoping someone else picks it up and not having to do it all myself, which is what I've grown up having to do or feeling like I've had to do. So no one's, sometimes they don't pick the ball up as quick as you'd like. I'm like, pick it up, just <laughs> Dig it up. Dig it. Dive for it. Dive it. Dig it. And then I breathe. I go to the bathroom. I come back still there. So I kick it down the street a little bit more. (laughs) But um, I'm learning. I'm learning. I don't get it right a lot of the time. Um, And it's been great to be in an environment to upgrade my skill set. Do you feel like, because obviously you retired after London, so that's 10 years ago. Has there been moments along that path where you're just like, oh, I just wish I could go back to sport? Sport was so simple. <laughs> we think it's so complicated, but it's really so simple. Yeah, there's been a few times, but then I go, oh, 
training in the rain, sand in my pants, yeah. sunscreen on, <laughs> my knees sore. Hell no. Yeah. When the Olympics come on, even during the Winter Olympics, I, like I get teary watching the half pipe mm. and the moguls because of that moment where you got to perform. Yes. That's what I miss. You just don't replicate that yeah. in real life. I miss the whistle. I miss the scoreboard. I miss the competition in that environment. Mm. I don't miss what I knew I had to do to get there and how I had to hold myself and carry myself in that space for so long. Mm. It was exhausting. Yeah, it is. 20 years, five Olympics. It was exhausting and and but worth it. Um, would I do it any different? Maybe a few little things, but I, I've just loved being an Olympian. So what would your advice be to athletes who are thinking about retiring? Obviously, we had Tokyo last year. We've got Beijing, the Winter Olympics. That's just happened. What advice do you give to those athletes who are thinking about retiring or are going to retire? Yeah, it's probably one back from that. It's probably even if they're not thinking about it now is to um, – and they all say it at the Queensland Academy of Sport and the AOC and the AIS, you know, you should have another career because this isn't where you're going to make your money. Yeah. Um, it's not about pushing that so much. What I would encourage them to do is build relationships – relationships is the new currency, have a network, make friends, go to functions, make friends with people in high places. Mm. Um, Genuinely though, not for an outcome of what am I going to get? And you may get something down the track. Yes. Um, It's playing the long game. Yeah, it's absolutely playing the long game, being relational. And then when you're about to, when you know this is your last Olympics or you come out the other side and go, I'm done – Reconnect with all those people. If you haven't worked out what your next passion is, because sometimes it's difficult mm. and you might you might think you know what you want to do and you get out there and you're like, oh, hell no, shit. hell no. <laughs> um, and then that's difficult. So be flexible. Mm. In today's society, you can shift and move and pivot and do all those things and and change. My biggest advice, if it's not working and you don't like it, give it a period of time and get to that time and if it's not happening, get out. Mm. Don't stick in something that isn't Doesn't feel right. making you feel good, mm. joyful for your soul, yeah. that you want to get up for. Um, <laughs> I did. I was in a um, marketing role for a startup technology company when I was kind of was first retired. <laughs> I cried every day in the bathroom mm. <laughs> for three months. I felt like that Probably. was Probably. <laughs> that was sign for me that I needed to like move on with shedding life. shedding but that's also ironically that could be the grieving too of it was the, of 100%. The sw- not so much the marketing you were stuck in a vortex well, it was a combination of feeling like you I had absolutely no idea what I was doing I wasn't particularly passionate about it so I felt like an idiot I didn't love it and then was grieving sport because I miss that. Yeah, yeah. And I still miss still it. Still do it. I yeah. still I cry every time there's a medal presented. Every time. What is that? <laughs> Why are we the way I that know. we are? I'm like, Jordan looks at me like, Mum, hello, the Olympics. <laughs> when when um, Brisbane got announced as Olympics in 2032, I literally like swept Poppy up uh, um, off the couch and was like, Brisbane's <laughs> She's like, what is happening? I know. And it's either going to push him away or push him towards and who knows, but – Poor Jordan, I'm like, don't, don't talk about the Olympics too much in case. I mean, she'd be prime age yeah, though. That's right. It's such a good well, age. Well, for what, swimming? Yes, yeah, swimming. Yes, yeah, swimming. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
my final question, because I've been talking to you for so long. Um, I always like to ask my guests, what is your favourite moment? Like the moment that you're most proud of? Obviously, it's pretty hard to go past <laughs> an Olympic gold medal, but yeah. is there a quiet moment amongst that journey that you went, this is what makes my sporting career? Yeah, the obvious one is Bondi and no one will ever take that away. That my other biggest moment was walking into the opening ceremony in Atlanta, my first Olympics, where there's n- coming up over, and every stadium is built differently. And I don't know that the Gabba will have this feature, but if I can tell any of them, is to have a ramp that comes up where you can't actually see wow. what's in there. Because in Sydney, you could see underneath and you could peek. Mm. But I first time, like the sheep being moved around, all of the Australian team there walking up over the ramp and I walked up over the top and the first thing was you can lip read the holy Batman <laughs> and the phones are clicking and, well, they probably weren't phones back then. They were probably <laughs> cameras, cameras, cameras. you could hear the click. Um, and then I'm like, wow, all these people are here to watch us do what we do best Ooh. and what we love. So that moment... The, the quiet moment, ironically, and you talked about it, was the flag moment of sitting. I remember sitting on a couch in an interview next to the flag bearer to be and cop and energetically and emotionally wanting to run mm. and knowing that it was going to make a difference for myself to stand in that advocacy role of not only I deserve this, I still deserve it, I still feel like I deserved it and not back away. I think that, so that at the end of my career, um, and that's what I continue to do. Mm. There are people in the system that will say that athletes shouldn't be paid more money, Olympic athletes and Paralympic athletes, and I'm still there going, you're wrong and we're going to change this. And that will be my dying legacy to elevate the financial importance or relevance to what we deliver in the pool, on the court, on the track, um, to the next generation. Because we talk about it, but it's not rewarded. It's magic, Nat. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you much Libby. for your time. And thank you for all you do. You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Mutual yeah. admiration club. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Nat is just such a ray of sunshine in so many different ways and someone that I've always admired in the way that she advocates for herself and asks for what she needs. I think you can hear that in that conversation. It was something that was so jarring in a way um, when it happened in, in 2012 with her talking about potentially being the flag bearer and you know advocating for a woman to be a flag bearer. And, yeah, it was really confronting, I think, as an athlete back then because I was like, oh, you can't say that. And then now it, it was evident then but I think really um, obvious now that why can't we? Why can't we advocate for ourselves? Why can't we ask for what we need and, and go after it and tell people that that's what we're going after? I think that's a really incredible lesson that I hope everyone who listened to today's show um, kind of got that inspiration and um, will be able to go and do that in their in their own lives in some some small way thank you so much for listening to today's show I actually wanted to say thank you to everyone who has 
rated and reviewed and sends me just lovely comments uh, and DMs on Instagram. I read every single one of them and I'm so appreciative. Uh, uh, I'm getting nervous. I'm so appreciative of all the support because, um, yeah, it's always nerve-wracking kind of doing this sort of stuff and putting yourself out there in different ways. And, yeah, very grateful for all of the support. So, as always, if you have any other ideas of people that you want to hear from, uh, head to at allthatglitterspod.com. And otherwise, have a lovely week and I'll chat to you soon.